0: Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are grateful and glad to have you with us here this morning. Uh, as you might be able to tell, I have a slightly different microphone this morning. Got our new system installed. We're still figuring it all out. Big thanks to Hannah Clark for all of her work. So as we figure out the new system, stick with us, be patient. Uh, it sounds better to me. But I'll have to wait and get the feedback from all of you. So we are working with the new system. Uh, I also want to say a special word of welcome to any of you who might be visiting with us this morning. We are grateful particularly for your presence and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. Uh, The instructions for that are in your order of worship. And I hope you can all remember as we worship together today that the best thing we bring with us to worship is ourselves and our presence. So keep that in mind this morning. Several upcoming events to make you aware of. Uh, The first is the Messiah coming up uh, this coming Tuesday evening. Um, I've been told that is a uh, Monroe favorite. So if you're planning to come, come early. Make sure you get your seat. Uh, And in relation to that, uh, we're gonna ask again that you admire the flowers. Smell the flowers, but do not take them home today. They need to last us through the Messiah. And then coming up on the 18th, we have our chili supper here at the church, 6 p.m. If you would like to sign up to bring something, that list is outside of my office on the glass table. And then as you look at your order of worship today, uh, pretty much a, a normal day for us here at Northminster. Kids, I want you to come up again on the last verse of that first hymn. And I think that's everything. I don't think there are any big surprises this morning. So we are going to worship together on this third Sunday of Advent. If you can believe it, it is already the third Sunday of Advent. But before we do that, I'd like to ask that we take a deep breath together. And you all know by now we do this to settle ourselves, to give our minds and our hearts and our bodies time to all catch up with one another. So, that we can be as centered and focused on this time that we have together as possible. So, take a deep breath. Allow that breath to fill your lungs all the way down to your belly, even into your toes if you can breathe that deeply. Breathe in the joy and the love and the safety of this good space. Then, as you breathe out, breathe out your to do list, breathe out the Christmas gifts that aren't wrapped. Breathe out any homework that might not be done. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God, and let us worship together.
1: Good morning. For those of you who don't know, I'm Janet Dawson. I'm a member of the Missions Commission and uh, one of six, and every month we uh, tell you about the mission that is for that particular month. This time, it's one that is dear to my heart. It is the Alliance of Baptists, and most of you know that when you join this congregation, you are also joining the Alliance of Baptists, but some of you may not know that, I didn't really know that when I joined and um, when I joined I was not coming away from something I was leaving. I loved my church. I was coming to something I needed. I, was, I had an important job in my Methodist congregation, um, which I, I served out the rest of that term Before I joined here. But I was very glad to realize later on that this congregation was not a standalone congregation. It is a part of something bigger. And that something bigger is the Alliance of Baptists. And the word Baptists is not a bad word. The Alliance of Baptist, as explained on the internet and agreed to by Dr. Wilton Gaddy because I consulted him this week, is a people of faith, a community knit together by our love for one another and God, combining progressive inquiry, contemplative prayers, and prophetic action. To bring about justice and healing the alliance of baptists began in 1987 we are not southern baptist not american baptist not missionary baptist we are the alliance of baptists it has grown to be a justice movement as well as a community of faith This church is one of roughly 140 congregations, comprised of about 4,500 individual members. And I know that doesn't seem like very many, but Dr. Gaddy explained something about that. The membership includes male and female laity and clergy, people of diverse sexual orientation, gender identities, theological beliefs, and ministry practices. Dr. Gaddy says that other people join with the Alliance of Baptists in various types of mission work, in the US and in other countries also. This congregation, this congregation here officially came together in 1992 and became one of the first churches to join the Alliance. Remember, it came together in 1987. Most of our charter members did not want to be a stand-alone denomination. They wished to be a part of something bigger, something whose purpose was the same as what our purpose is. In order to continue fulfilling that purpose, the Alliance of Baptists needs financial support. Our church has designated December 2022 as our mission concentration for the Alliance of Baptists. We are already members and friends of Northminster, now we need to realize that we are members of the Alliance of Baptists. And I'm asking you to give willingly, according to your ability, to this very worthy cause. In the lower left-hand corner of your check to Northminster Church, simply write, Alliance of Baptists. And thank you very much.
0: One hundred people from
2: the ages of two to eighty years old were asked the question What brings you joy? From the voices of different generations hear their answers. A clean kitchen.
1: Sand between my toes. Sleeping in my own bed
0: after a night away.
2: Having a camera in my hand. <coughs>
0: jokes. Mountain
3: air.
2: When my parents pick me up. The end of my to-do
0: list.
3: Hugs for my nieces and nephew. Baby giggles.
2: My cat.
0: Putting my hands in the garden. A chord resolved. Stargazing.
2: Bedtime books. A
0: warm More. cup
2: of coffee with friends.
0: My new granddaughter. Lingering at the table after dinner.
2: Time with my family. Today we light the candle of joy. May its light remind us of all the good news that.
0: I love that. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, and be honest, have you ever gotten angry and maybe raised your voice? Yeah. (laughs) Libby, have you ever gotten upset and raised your voice? Maybe a little? Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have. I know I have. And does that usually help when you get upset and raise your voice? Does that get you in more trouble or less trouble? More trouble, yeah. Yeah, it's the same when you're an adult. Usually raising your voice does not make things better. But we get upset, we get angry, and we yell, and sometimes we feel like that's going to help us make our point better, right? Does it usually help? No. Every once in a while it can. But most of the time it doesn't help. Well, in a minute, you're going to hear a passage from the Bible. It's from a book called Isaiah. Can you say that, Isaiah? Can you all say that? Isaiah? Isaiah. It's from the book of Isaiah, and it's about what happens when we get upset. And one of the things that it says is God wants us to be fair and that we don't actually need to shout. The passage talks about a servant who is coming and who's not going to raise a voice or be loud, but is still going to be able to help people. So how does that work? Can we help people if we are not loud? Can we help people if we're a little quiet, do you think? Yeah, we can. I wanna show you something kind of similar. Do y'all know what that is? It's a lighthouse, you're exactly right, Melba. That is a lighthouse. And do you know where the light comes from? it Comes from right in there. There's a, it's a lens. Of, like, a lens on a camera or on your phone, except bigger, but it's not very big, and there's a light bulb behind it. And through that lens and that bulb, do you see how far out the light is going? And it goes even further. I was reading this week that some um, lighthouses you can see the light from like 20 miles away, which is pretty far. So, how does A lighthouse and the small lens, but the long light, how does that relate to how we use our voices? How do you think? Hmm? It's high, okay. What other thoughts do you have? I know, it's kind of a strange connection to make. What do you think, Melba? It's bright. What do you think? It's lighter? Those are all really good answers. The other thing, the other thing that's like our voices and like the light is that you don't have to be big and loud to make an impact, to for people to see you. So, do you see, it's kind of a small light, but it goes way, way out. And it's the same thing. You don't have to yell or raise your voice for people to understand that you have something to say. Does that make sense? And it might keep you out of trouble if you don't yell at your parents, which is a good thing. But I want you to think about that. It's important for us to stand up for each other. It's important for us to stand up for people who need help. But We don't always have to be loud about it. Sometimes it's as simple as giving your friend a hug or <coughs> writing your friend a letter to say, I'm thinking about you. Those are quiet, soft things that we can do that are also really helpful. So think about that this week. I want you to know your voice is important also want you to remember you don't have to yell all the time. So think about how you can use your voice this week, okay? All right, now turn around, face the congregation, you all are leading this part. I want you to sit all the way down, nice and tall, hands to yourselves, and you're going to repeat after me. Are you ready? Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you.
3: I see the face of God in you.
0: The love of Christ comes shining through. The
3: love of Christ shining through.
0: And I am blessed to be with you. And
3: I am blessed to be with you.
0: O holy child of God.
3: O holy child of God.
0: Amen. You can go back to your seats. Thank you.
3: Hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The Gospel of all the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. <laughs>
0: Pray together. Giver of every good gift, we thank you for sending your Spirit to empower your world and to fulfill your Word. We thank you for taking us by the hand, leading, lending us your presence and power and purpose to guide and protect us as we walk your way and seek your new kingdom breaking into this world. Holy Spirit of compassionate justice, we lift up those who are feeling beaten down, trampled or forgotten or tossed aside, whose voices are talked over, who are talked over or talked about but never with, who long for another way yet feel they have no good options, and for those whose light is burning out. May they be encouraged by your gentleness and our solidarity. May they stand in your strength and find healing. Holy Spirit of liberation, we lift up those who sit in the shadows, whose vision is obscured, who are surrounded by obstacles and no obvious way out. We also pray for those who choose not to see anything that might challenge their worldview. We pray for your freedom for all who are unjustly imprisoned, for those who are dehumanized, rather than offered a way of restoration, and for those who are in cages of their own making. May they have the strength to stand and see outside the box. May they have the space to move and grow and change, to live and breathe and walk in your light. Holy Spirit of renewal, we lift up those who find the idea of new things a threat for all who are well served by the status quo, who see no need for a different way, who are happy just as they are, thanks. We are grateful for the glimpse of your kingdom coming, and we pray for those who will have to learn a new world, even as we rejoice with those who have longed for your day. And we ask on this third morning of Advent for you to come and widen our vision and open our hearts. May all people recognize your still more excellent way and be encouraged and empowered to embrace your change. May we be a light to the nations. We ask these things in the name of your word made flesh, your (laughs) servant and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: Isaiah, chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. A prophetic word about the light of the world.
3: Thanks be to God.
0: So DH can attest, I walked into Renee's office on Thursday and said, hey, is it too late to uh, change my sermon title? And she looked at me and looked down at the printed bulletin she was in the process of folding and said, I mean, I guess I could reprint them, Uh, and I told her not to bother. So the correct sermon title for this morning, because I was running behind, is Gentle Justice and Servanthood, Action, and Being Held by God. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. So I'm going to begin this morning with an approach I haven't used before in a sermon. Uh, this was one all of my math teachers whose classes I stressed and cried and agonized through seemed to prefer... I think math teachers are mean, that's just me. <laughs> this is not something my preaching professor ever recommended, so if this doesn't work, uh, you can tell me after church, but hug me first to push in the blow. <laughs> but I think it just might with this particular text and this particular congregation. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start by giving you this morning's good news here at the very beginning. And then I'm going to show you my work through the text as to how I got to this point. So here's the good news. Just as justice and servanthood go hand in hand, so too do action and being held by God. Now let's talk about how I got here. First, justice and servanthood. We have to begin, as we do most weeks, with the background of this text. I want you to think about the book of Isaiah. It is pretty long, but did you know that scholars break it into three sections, three distinct sections? The first, or Proto-Isaiah, that's chapters one through 39, was written by the prophet that we talk about and think of as Isaiah, probably eighth century before the Jews are exiled. The second section, which is where our reading comes from today, is 2nd Isaiah, or Deutero-Isaiah. That's chapters 40 through 55. This was done by an anonymous 6th anonymous century writer, uh, writing as the exile was ending. We don't know who this person was. Then there's 3rd or Trito-Isaiah, chapters 50, excuse me, 56 through 66 composed again by an unknown author after the Jews had returned from exile to the Promised Land. You also need to, as we read through this text, to keep the timeline in mind. So, here are the important dates to think about. 597 BCE were the first deportations of Jewish people from their homeland to Babylon. 586 was the destruction of Jerusalem. And then in 538 was uh, the end of the exile when the Jews could return home. I know that's a lot of information to toss at you, but it all matters because, as I said, this text is in second or Deutero-Isaiah, and it's not composed by that original writer. It's composed by someone else writing at the end of the exile. The people have been away from their home for about 50 years or so at this point. And this prophet, whoever he or she is, is speaking to a people who were facing a new way of living. This space that they've had away from home has at least been somewhat safe. They've gotten comfortable where they are. Now they are going to be going, some of them, back to the Jewish homeland. That's a totally different way of living life, and it's a new way of being the Lord's people. The other thing to know is that this text is one of four passages known as servant songs in the book of Isaiah. It talks about a servant. So, who is this servant that God delights in? There are four ways to think about this from Jewish thinking. I'm going to go through them with you quickly. The first one is that this is uh, King Cyrus of Persia. He's the king who allows the Jewish people to go back to the homeland. That's not particularly likely. This is all about a nonviolent way of being a servant and that really was not uh, his approach to life. He was a fairly violent guy. Another way to think about it is that the prophet is writing about his or herself. That's a little arrogant, that doesn't really work. We're not gonna use that approach. The approach most uh, preferred by Christians for obvious reasons is that the servant is Jesus, it is the Messiah. That's also the reason to leave that male language in the reading, which is not something we normally do at Northminster, but it helps us think about Jesus. And then the last option is that the servant is the Israelite nation as a whole, this group of people who are going to have to figure out how to be God's people as they return to the homeland. I want you this morning, you can believe any of those interpretations you like, but for our purposes, I want you to hold on to those last two, Jesus and the people, as being options for who the servant is. Both are helpful thinking through this text because what it means to be God's servant is specific, it's tied to justice. And God delights in this servant, something we know is true of Jesus, and something we hopefully know is true of Jewish people and ourselves. So we're told in the text that the servant will bring justice to the nations. That sounds like wonderful biblical language, but what does it mean? Well, probably not what you're expecting. As the text goes on, we hear that this justice will not be loud. As I told the children, it will be quiet. There will be no screaming or yelling. This justice will be non-damaging. Those things and people who are already bruised and bent will not be trampled anymore by this kind of justice. This justice will be gentle. The presence of the servant who brings this justice will be gentle so gentle that he or she or all of us will not extinguish a candle that is on the verge of going out. In other words, this justice is not blustery or loud, but gentle. And it arises from amidst the broken and the vulnerable. This is justice that pays special attention to the needs of those who are already bruised and beaten. It's justice that takes into account the energy of those who are already faint and tired. It's justice that emerges from those who are in need of justice. But don't think that that means this justice is weak. Verse 4 tells us that even though this justice faces obstacles and resistance and is under great pressure, it will not crack or give up until things are set right. This is a justice of dogged determination. It has eternal strength, a spine of steel. But did you hear that word in there, until? Here verse, excuse me, chapter, verse 4 again. Here's verse 4. And though he faces obstacles, resistance, and great pressure, he will not crack. The servant will not give up until things are set right. Now this is a small detail, but perhaps that word is there to remind us that the cost of bringing this justice, this gentle justice, is the yielding of one's own power, the yielding of one's own well-being, even of one's own life. Which, of course, makes us think of Jesus, right? For his pursuit of gentle justice comes with the giving of his well-being and his life. But this also works as we think of servant as the people of Israel. Because it is a reminder to us that they are restarting their lives, and that could mean the same for us if we pursue this sort of justice. It is our reminder of what genuine servanthood to God, who breathes life into this kind of justice, looks like. And that's what I mean when I say that justice and servanthood go hand in hand. Gentle justice doesn't just happen. It takes work and time. Whether it comes through the person of Jesus, who we do our best to emulate, or through the people of God as a whole, like the Israelites, Gentle justice is thoughtful and attentive and considerate. It requires us to pay attention to those whose strength is almost gone so that we can lend them a hand that is most useful. Gentle justice requires us to tread carefully with those who have been traumatized so that we don't accidentally re-injure them. Gentle justice requires us to abandon our egos to serve those who don't need our voices at full, yelling power, even if they're raised in protest, but who need our voices at a gentle whisper because their abuser was a yeller. Gentle justice and servanthood go hand in hand because neither is inwardly focused but rather outwardly focused. And they go hand in hand because they are both based and tethered and held together by relationships. Now let's move to action and being held by God. The second half of this good news. I want you to hear again verses 5 and 6. God, the eternal one who made the starry skies, stretched them tight above and around who casts the shimmering globe of earth and filled it with life, who gives breath and animates the people, who walks and talks with life-giving spirit, has this to say. I am the Eternal One. By righteousness I have called you. I will take you by the hand and keep you safe. You are given as a covenant between me and the people, a light for the nations, a shining beacon to the world. Now, you might wonder why, in this reading, the prophet stops mid-justice conversation to describe God. Remember, this text comes at the end of the exile. The Jewish people, as I've said, are gonna be restarting. A new time is about to begin. God will be with them again as they create a new life for themselves, but it doesn't hurt to remind them of who God is. That's also why this creation language is used. God is a God of creation. She is an experienced gardener, a veteran mother, a consummate planner. She knows what it is to begin from nothing and create all that there is. That's why that reminder is so important. But the most striking portion of the summary of God, actually the summary God gives of herself, is how she relates to the servant. By righteousness, I have called you, the text says. I will take you by the hand and keep you safe. I will take you by the hand and keep you safe. I want you to sit with that for just a second. Think about how comforting the image of God taking her servants, her people, all of us by the hand is. It's a parental image, it's loving, gentle, but it's the kind of image that comes with a backbone of protection, right? As parents, we take children's hands, so if need be, we can yank them behind us. That is exactly the kind of God that bruised, traumatized people need. It is exactly the image that reinforces this sort of gentle justice. And with such a loving parent, how can there be any response other than to be a shining beacon to the world? Can the servant do anything other than to open blind eyes so that they will see again, or lead prisoners blinking out from cap- caverns of captivity, from cells pitch black with despair? If that language reminds you of Jesus, it should. It's very reminiscent of Luke 4 when God is calling the servant to bring attention to injustice in the world. But why this comparison between blind eyes and imprisonment? Well, probably because in the ancient world, one of the major reasons for imprisonment was debt. This amounts to debtor's prison, is what we would call it. And from the ancient world, such confinement has been used throughout history. It was seen in medieval England, in medieval Europe as a whole, and the Islamic Middle East. Germany finally did away with debtor's prison in the 1860s. In the United States, it moved from being a federal issue to a state issue in 1833, and Virginia was the last state to get rid of official debtor's prisons in 1849. Greece didn't get rid of official debtor's prison until 2008. (sighs) but just because this practice officially died out in the 1800s, don't think that debtor's prisons no longer exist in the United States. We have the same concept, but a little bit different. In 2005, NPR reported a story of a man named Edward Brown. He lived in a town uh, called Jennings, Missouri, It's on the outskirts of St. Louis, in St. Louis County, uh, not too far from where Eric and I lived, and the city wanted to condemn the house that he had lived in for 25 years. Now, a back injury had made it impossible for him to mow his lawn. It grew up, grew, the grass got too tall, and it got cited for that. Then he was cited for not getting his dog's rabies vaccination. Eventually, the city did condemn his house, but with nowhere else to go, Brown stayed in his home and received another citation for trespassing. At that point, he owed the city $464, not a ton of money, but he lived, between Social Security and some other sources, on $488 a month. So he couldn't pay his fines. And because of that, he went to jail. One time was for 30 days, and the other time was for 20 days. But over and over again, cities like Jennings put especially poor people in jail for not being able to pay citations. I'm missing some pages, hang on just a second. didn't print, so I'm going to do my best to remember what I wrote. The story goes on, and I had so many good things in there, too. The story goes on to talk about the fees that all 50 states charge, because all 50 states charge some sort of fees to people who have been cited for different things and people who have gotten into the criminal justice system. As of 2014, Louisiana, was charging not only for people to wear ankle monitors and for their own um, lawyers if they couldn't afford a lawyer, they were charging for several other things in addition. One of, I think, 23 other states that makes people charge, or excuse me, pay out of pocket for all of these individual services that are required by the criminal justice system. And I'll uh, give you one guess Especially in Louisiana, which group of people are most likely to get caught in this system of having to pay these fees, not having the money to pay the fees, and then going to jail because they can't pay the fees. And if you guessed anything other than African Americans, please come talk to me after church. So there is a system of poverty built into our legal system. And before we get into, well, if you can't do the crime, don't do the time, being poor isn't a crime. And yeah, we should all mow our lawns, but that certainly shouldn't put you in jail. (laughs) So to say that we no longer have debtors prison simply isn't true. We do. We very much do. We very much have an issue with our entire prison system. We all know that, that people of color are more often incarcerated than others. So how do we think about this? How do we move from this idea that prisons are opened? How is that justice? Well, the text says that the servant is going to open blind eyes so they will see again. It's not talking about literally blind eyes. It's talking about people who don't see injustices. The servant is coming to open our eyes to injustice, to help us set prisoners free from literal prison, but also from other types of prison. That is the action that we are called to take from this text. But it goes along with, hand in hand with, the Lord taking us by the hand. So yes, we are called to action. We are called to help set prisoners free. We are called to open our own eyes. But we do so with our hand in God's hand. So that's why the good news this morning is that justice and servanthood go together, and action and being held by God go together, In this Advent season, it's a season of anticipation. It's a season of waiting. But that doesn't mean it's a season in which we don't do anything. We are called to do all of these things with the knowledge that we are held by God. I think that's very good news. As we come to this time of communion, we print, present ourselves before God, hungry for a taste of the eternal's kingdom. In a world where evil and empire often come together to hoard and exploit, we crave the fruits of the Spirit. We long for kindness, we dream of peace and justice. We hope to be disciples of generosity, sharing and redistributing the resources. God intends for the flourishing of all people. And on in gratitude, we join together in praise of God, the source of abundance, and recognize that since the beginning, God has been building a lineage of love and liberation, inviting all who wish to belong. Through the saints and the prophets and all those who have come before us, God calls us to deepen our commitments to building communities of care and justice. God calls us to practice a more radical solidarity across identities and communities so that no one struggles alone. God has shown us the way. God took on flesh and dwelled among us. And in Jesus, we come to understand God as an enfleshed, as a brown Jewish Palestinian man, a refugee refugee born into a frowned-upon familial structure with neither security or wealth or access to power. His life is a witness to the hope that does not come from climbing ladders of success or power or begging for crumbs of dignity. It is a hope that is born in community, in nurturing love, taking risks together, multiplying what we have and finding that it is more than enough. Like Jesus, we gather around a table with our friends, remembering that people of faith gather around tables just like this one in places near and far. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. It is God's table. And here, all are worthy and all are welcome. At this table... Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one, so may it always be. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father, who art art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, come, thy will will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread, and and forgive us our trespasses. trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that he was handed over, while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that evening he took bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat all of you. This is my body surrendered for you. In the same way, when supper was over, he took a cup, he filled it with wine, he gave thanks for it, And he shared it with the disciples saying, take and drink all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me. this benediction. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace.